0: Well, good morning, Sailorville. and a very, very happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out here this morning and watching online. Happy Father's Day to you. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're talking today about the unashamed gospel. So I mean, I'm sorry if you thought this was going to be a Father's Day message, but uh, oh Well. (laughs) I think the best gift a dad could give to their kid, or kids, is, would be the gift of a Christ-honoring, faithful life, uh, albeit imperfect, but a consistent and unashamed life. one who loves God, and clearly so loves their mother. And by the way, I admire many dads represented here at Sailorville Church. And in fact, I want to be just like some of you when I grow up. <laughs> because you're great dads in that way. And if you're not one of those dads, it's not too late to commit yourself to being one of those. And speaking of being unashamed, we're talking about the unashamed gospel and we're looking at some popular verses here that some of you have probably memorized. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, I am not, say the word, not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And watch this. For in it, the righteousness of God Is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Now, in a moment of honesty, how many of you have ever been ashamed to share the gospel? Just raise your hand. All right? I appreciate the honesty here. Mine going up too. For whatever reason, For fear or ignorance or failure, you've been ashamed. My intention today is to knock that shame out of you who know Jesus and love the gospel so much and understand its ramifications so deeply that you will. Take the gospel to others unashamedly. Last week, we asked four questions, and we gave four answers from 1 Corinthians 15, where there you have a summation of the gospel, if you recall, those of you who are with us. It's there where Paul tells us what the gospel does, and then he tells us what the gospel is. Well, anyway, here are the questions. What is it? What is the gospel? We answered all of these questions right from the text. And here it is, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, according to the scriptures, right? That's the gospel. But I believed all of that, and I was not a Christian. I believed everything you see and read, and was not a Christian. So how do I receive it? That is the the next question we asked last week, again from the text. Somebody must share it. The word was preached, means to declare. Paul says, I preached it to you and you received it so it has to be preached you have to receive I have to receive it this is what the apostle Paul meant when he says later in Romans where he says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what but how will they how will they call on him whom they've not believed and how will they believe in him and whom they've not heard and how will they hear unless somebody is sent to them that's the whole idea and that's why people need to hear the gospel. They won't hear it unless you, the follower of Jesus, whoever you are out there, commits to so doing. By the way, I teased you a little bit last week. I said the apostle Paul, remember he said, I also received, 1 Corinthians, I, I preached to you what I also received. I love that humility. Paul said, I had to receive it too. And I teased that out. Who did Paul receive it from? I would submit there were two people he received it from. One was Stephen. Remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, that godly saint, he was like a he was like a meteor, you know, that lit up the sky and was gone. And he lit it up, preached the gospel. The apostle Paul, who was actually Saul, unsaved Saul, committing to incarcerate and punish Christians, sat there, watched it, and consigned Stephen to his death. The Bible tells us the other person was Jesus himself. And you know the story in Acts chapter 9. Jesus confronts Saul and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why is it hard for you to kick against the goads?" you know what a goad is? That's a cattle prod. In other words, Paul, while he was going to Damascus, was thinking about the arguments of Stephen. And he was so ticked off. He had Stephen killed, but he would bow to Jesus Christ. Amen? In fact, if you wonder if Paul was led to Jesus, ultimately by Jesus, listen to his own words that he said to the Galatians. He was referring to the gospel. I did not learn the gospel from men, nor was I taught it by man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever read that? That's referring directly to that conversation, conversion in Acts chapter 9. The third question we asked was, what effect does it have on me? What effect does the gospel, once I've received it, have on me? And the answer out of the text is I stand, right, and I'm being saved. I stand before God. I can take a stand in this world. I have a standing with God, and I am in the pro- I was saved. I am being saved. I will ultimately be saved. Amen? That's why Paul said to the Philippians, that I'm convinced, he being, being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? That's why I love what Christopher Ashe says in his exposition of Rome. This is worth memorizing. He says, the gospel is God's instrument, not only to make us Christian in the first place, but also to keep us Christian in the end. What a great statement. I think we have it up there to put it up there. There's a quote coming. Anyway. Anyway. That's that's what he said. Uh, Fourthly, how do I know it's real to me? And again, right out of the text, I hold fast to the word. That's what Paul says. If I I have trusted in Christ, if I have received, if I have repented, believed the gospel, the word of God will be at work in me. And this is what Paul said to the Thessalonians when he said, he said, "I, I rejoiced When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, watch this, which effectively works in those who believe. How cool is that? And that's what happens when you really believe. The word of God becomes effective in your life. I just thought of this just now. Jesus said to his detractors uh, in John 8, he says, he says, he said these are Jews who knew the scripture. They knew the scripture. They knew the word of God. He said, "My word has no place in you." Have you ever read that? The word place means a jurisdiction. Has no jurisdiction. It's not it's, it hasn't find, it hasn't found an inculcation into your life. And so that's when I know it's real to me is when I hold fast to the word of God. So, the unashamed gospel are you ashamed? I remember about three or four weeks after I trusted Jesus as my Savior, my wife Nina and I were on a bicycle ride, and I took her into my, old, my neighborhood where I grew up, and I'm, we're pedaling around the neighborhood, and we came to this little neighborhood grocery store. I literally went to this grocery store every week, sometimes a couple times a week, to buy milk and bread, just the, you know, the little things. At Wilcox Grocery Store. And uh, so I said, oh, honey, we got to go in. This, this is a grocery store that, I, I mean, I grew up in this grocery store. We got to go in there. So we went in, and old man Wilcox was right there. It had been like 10 years since I'd seen him. He recognized me right away. And we, hey, how you doing, Mr. Nimmers? We're talking back and forth. And I said, hey, it's great. Hey, you came in at, hey, you came in at an entertainment. This is the last time, this is the last day the store's going to be open. We're closing it up after today. I said, you are? Yeah, I mean you gotta realize when I got saved, I was like a bull in a china cabin. I was ready to share with everybody. (laughs) But I'm looking at old man Wilcox and he says to me, So he says, so anyway, what's new with you, Mr. Numbers? And all I can tell you is I froze. I just froze. I muttered something, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't the gospel. Next thing I know, we were on our bikes and we were pedaling out of the neighborhood. I never saw Mr. Wilcox again. But I remember as we were making our way home, I was totally guilt-ridden. My conscience was bothering me. And I remember on that bicycle thinking two words, never again, never again. I made a commitment before God. I would never let something like that happen to me again. And I wish I could sit here this morning and say, and it never has. But I made a commitment. I meant it. As God is my helper. I did experience something in that moment. What the writer of Proverbs says, he says, the fear of man brings a snare. A snare is the most cruel trap ever devised by men for animals. If an animal gets caught in a snare, be it a foot or a ne- you know, the neck, the The more they struggle, the tighter the snare gets until it either cuts off the appendage or chokes it to death. That's That's what it's like for those of us who live in fear of men. And I'm here to say to you, you don't have to fear if you know Jesus. For God has not given us a spirit of what? Say the word. Fear. Remember that. I got it underlined for a reason but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's why we should not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord. That word fear, Now, the the Greek word for fear is a really cool word. We get our word phobia from that word. It's the word phobos, but that's not this word. The normal word is phobos. This word fear, it's the only time it appears in all the Bible, in all the New Testament, right there. You know what it means? It means to be a coward. That's what it means. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. That's what it's saying. But of power, of love, and of a strong, sound mind. Today, on Father's Day, I'm hoping to run the spirit of you cowards out of this church and put some spiritual re-rod into you to be unashamed about what you believed in. All right? So we're answering the question, why should a Christian unashamedly shared the gospel in the series that we are preaching this this series more like Jesus, this is the foundational two messages we are gospel centered amen and here's our text again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believed the Jew first also to the Greek, for in it in that 's in it, in it, in the gospel. The righteousness of God is, what's the word? Very important word. You should underline that in your Bible. Is, it's the word we get our word revelation, where we get our word apocalypsis from this word. is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, here it is. Number one why should a Christian unashamedly share the gospel? Because it's good news. Duh. That's what the word means. Eongolion means good news. Don't you love to share good news? I know some of you will keep, but if you know me, if anybody knows me, I cannot keep back good news. I love to share good news. About a thousand different things. But especially this. I was thinking about this, and I thought, and I, I, this is the way my weird brain works. I, I, thought of a, I thought of a passage in the Old Testament, a story in the Old Testament, kind of an obscure one. The Syrians had, uh, had surrounded Jerusalem. Things were really bad. It was a war of attrition. Uh, there was no food left. People were eating their own. That's how bad it was. You can read it for yourself in 2 Kings 7. But, but these, two, these four lepers are, are outside of the gate. I mean, who's going to bother a leper? So they're having a conversation with each other. And uh, they they go, hey, you know, why don't we sit here till we die? Let's just go over to the Syrians. Give ourselves, what's the worst that could happen? So they go. In the meantime, God causes this this, uh, disturbance to take place. All the Syrian, the entire Syrian army leaves with spoils, Galore. I mean, these four lepers are coming back. They got so much stuff. They're eating, they're getting full. They're just, oh, I can't believe what we've got. And suddenly, in the midst of the whole thing, they realize they've kind of kept this to themselves. And it says this look at this in 2 Kings. There it is. They said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of what? What's the expression? By the way, that's Hebrew. But the Greek translation called the Septuagint of the Old Testament, that phrase good news is the word "eōngalion." It's the word gospel. This is a gospel day. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Why do we share the gospel? Because it's good news. That's why. Is it good news? Has it been good news to you? I mean, when somebody gets engaged, that's good news. We all hear about it. Somebody gets married, that's great news. We all hear about it. Somebody has a baby, oh my goodness, the world's got to know. It's good news. How much more? A message that will save a soul. Secondly, why should a Christian unashamedly share the gospel? Because we're, got, we're obligated. I know you don't like to hear that word. But that's the word that Romans 1.14 actually uses, where the Apostle Paul says to the Romans in the context, he said, I wanted to come to you, but i have been prevented. And in verse 14, he says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians. I'm obligated. You say, well, that's the only time he says that. No, it's not. He said the same thing to the Colossians. He said, pray for me that the door will be opened to me to share the gospel. Then he says, which I ought. It's It's a word which carries the idea of a moral obligation that each of us have. This is why Paul said to the Corinthians, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel for necessity, that's a word which means to be pressed. Necessity is laid upon me. I mean, pressed into this. That's, I just can't hold it back. So there is a moral obligation. We are obligated. Thirdly, because it's God's power to save. Look at it again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. That's the word we get our English word dynamite from this word. I love this word. We had a missionary in the church I my pastored. It was funny. He goes, you know, he said, he was preaching on this text. He said, you know, we had, we had to make an airstrip so we could get planes to fly in, light planes to fly in, drop off medical supplies, and sometimes people. And We, we cleared all the trees up, but there were all these stumps, and there were these big boulders. Our, our people were sitting there wrenching on them with logs and, or with big branches and everything. And we just slugging it out, sweat and blood. It was taking forever. And one of them goes, Comes up and goes, I know how we can clear this strip. Let's we'll just blow everything up. They got dynamite. They stuck dynamite under the stumps, under the under the rocks. They just blew in in a couple of hours, the whole thing was clear. <laughs> That's what you have in the gospel. It can obliterate a stony heart and make it soft. The gospel in and of itself can do that. I know what some of you think, well I don't have your personality. My personality, my personality never saved a soul. And neither can yours, but the gospel can. It's the power of God. It has intrinsic within it the dunamis of God, the dynamite of God. You stick it in there, it explodes and people get saved. That's why we ought to go about this in an unashamed kind of way this is why paul said i mean this is like nuclear stuff spiritually speaking it obliterates every earthly argument even the even intellectuals they fall to their knees at the gospel we're going to say goodbye to a couple of them who were and still are scientists very intellectually minded and they had every aberrant belief you could possibly imagine what changed that i'll tell you what changed it the power of god i got to quit yelling. <clears throat> That's why Paul said to 1 Corinthians, he said, when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come to you, you know, with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my presentation were not like that, but a demonstration of the spirit and power. That's what he said. If you're going to be unashamed, you got to believe that you possess the very power of God. If you knew, if you knew that you had in your hands the very means by which a soul could be saved, would you not unashamedly share the gospel? I'm telling you, you do. The only question is why you're not, if you're not. Because I rejoice in the many who do. I want to just put pictures of them up here. They're my heroes. Fourth, because it appeals to everyone. I love this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Watch, what's the next line? To everyone who believes. Did you catch that? To everyone who believes. It appeals to everyone. The only stipulation is not to be chosen, but to choose. We're not not denying the elective powers of God. That's none of my business. I don't know who's elect or not. I just know God has chosen people. I just got to go find them. And I call them to repentance. I call them to believe the gospel and I praise the Lord when they do. This is why second Corinthians 3 verse 16, Paul says, when there's a cover over their hearts and when one turns, God chooses we turn. Amen. And when we turn, we're saved. To everyone who believes. A couple weeks ago we had vacation Bible school. And we instruct our teachers. They're little kids. Let's not manipulate them. Give them the gospel. Let's see what happens. Don't, don't press them into decisions. But they were, our, this group of teachers were so amazing, they were giving the gospel all week long. And these kids, about right in the middle of the week, it's, I want to be saved. I want this. I, and one by one, a half a dozen, a dozen, 15 or more came to Christ. We didn't check with God as to whether they were chosen. We rejoice with God that they chose to be saved, amen? It appeals to everyone. This is a reason why we should be unashamed in our presentation of the gospel. And finally, because it reveals God's righteousness. So this is, the 17th verse says, for in it, and the word for, there's three fours in this. If you look, every, every word means, every time you see four means because, because. Because in it, in what? What's the antecedent to it? The gospel, right? That's not rocket science. Just read the text. For in it, the righteousness of God is, what's the word? Revealed. That's the cool word I referred to earlier. We get our word revelation from this word. It's, a, it's the word Revealed literally means... It, the word literally means to take the cover off. Now, you don't know what's inside something until you take the cover off, right? Uh, likely, Likewise, there's a cover on some of you here. A number of you here still have the cover on. You're, you're blind. You don't see. You don't see it all. It's not been revealed to you. You're lost. And many that do know Jesus here, you, we all rub shoulders with people, the cover's on... It's the gospel that takes it off. That's the idea here, okay? The righteousness of God is revealed, takes the cover off, opens our eyes. The big reveal of God's righteousness is this, not that we earn God's righteousness by good works, but that we're given God's righteousness by Jesus' good work, his death and resurrection. Amen? That's the whole argument of Romans, by the way. One more thing, revealed. The, the, the word revealed is actually present tense. This is really cool. It's actually present tense. Which means when God takes the cover off, when you got saved, did you see everything perfectly right then? Huh? Anybody here? Uh, no. Right? Why? Because most of us can't take right away the full floodlight of truth that accompanies gospel light. That's why this word "revealed" means reveal keeps revealing. It keeps revealing. My wife Marilyn, with her permission, she, she tells the story of. So she and her husband Lori were saved on the same day, and uh, and so I was an evening. The pastor's over there led them both to Christ, and their babysitter, their babysitter. Uh, was a fervent follower of Christ and had been praying for them to be saved for years the very next day Marilyn tells the story the babysitter came up to Marilyn and said I am so excited for you and Lori. I can't I'm so excited about what happened to you last night so thrilled about what you did and Marilyn looked at her like she's going uh what did I do I mean, she knew she was a sinner. She had trusted Christ as Savior. It was real. But she didn't understand all the ramifications, did you? No. This is. The, I love what Emily Dickinson, the poet, said, truth must dazzle gradually or every man go blind. That's why when you walk out of a matinee in the middle of the afternoon on a sunny day, it's like, whoa! You know, it's like, You're not closing your eyes, but you're barely opening them, right? But as you walk in the light towards your car, your eyes, what? They adjust. God keeps revealing. This is the whole idea of sanctification. The righteousness of God is is intrinsic within the gospel, and it keeps revealing truth to us. And that's what it means when it says they go from faith to faith. Faith in Christ, and then The life of faith because we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. And that's the point here. The righteous shall live by faith. You didn't just pray a prayer. You entered into a life dressed in the righteousness of Christ. My wife and I just the other day left the home of a couple we led to Christ about seven or eight months ago. And we discipled them for a period of time. Then we passed them off to one of our community groups. We haven't gotten with them since. So we got with them. They had us over for a meal. And I have to tell you, we went away literally on cloud nine. We floated home that night. We floated home. We were so delighted in the revelation of God. Their eyes continually opened. Great, deep convictions coming into their lives. It just gave us joy. It was just absolute affirmation of their salvation, to to be able to see the righteousness of God on display, an amazing thing. The cover is off, and it was clear. Growing in faith, from faith to faith. Likewise, when we unashamedly share Jesus, you and me, we become God's instruments used by his Holy Spirit and taking the covers off those who have yet to see. And again, I know you. Well, I'm not like you. You don't have to be like me. Just be committed to the gospel. That'll do the work in and of itself. You know, it's like Spurgeon said. He said, "I." He said, "You know, I. You know, you don't. You don't need to be afraid of the lion. Just let the lion out of the cage. It'll take care of itself." This is a lion. Let it out of the cage. It'll take care of itself. So my challenge to you this morning is to commit to sharing the gospel unashamedly and let God lead you creatively in doing so. And we talked about parents, you know, the good news when they're, you know, they're going to have a baby. And we rejoice with them. I mean, I mean, parents come up with lots of ways to do the big reveal, Right? Balloons popping, cakes cut. I saw a website with 75 ways to do a gender reveal. Don't go there. (laughs) But how much more creative should we be in announcing the greatest news on earth? And this is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Getting creative. Now Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Right? The word "way" is the Greek word "hadas." It means road. That's exactly what it means. It means road. Jesus is the road to heaven. Can we all agree to that? He's the one road. There's only one road. Listen. This is the thought that came to me many years ago, and I would give it to you again. There's only one road to heaven, but there are a thousand on-ramps. Go figure them out. Build an on-ramp. You're the on-ramp. Your creative way of bringing somebody to Jesus is an on-ramp. You don't have to do what I do. Just do it. Our own missionaries that we're sending out, they leave one week from today. We'll say goodbye to them at the end. I've been interacting with them about their plans as they get acclimated back in Ireland. They have seven on-ramps that they're planning and praying over right now to bring people to Jesus. Seven of them. Can I get a hallelujah? But some of you, you're just on the wrong road. And you need to get on the road that takes you to heaven. My friend Dave Heischerkamp loves to tell the story. Years ago, when we were in California at a conference. It was a dead of night. And uh, we were on the wrong road. Surprise. And we got, out, we got off. We got an on-ramp that would take us to the right road. Except we found out it was a toll road. <laughs> and we didn't have any change. I think it was 35 cents. We came up with a quarter. We threw it in there. Dave says, Pat, it's a rental, take off. My conscience was bothering me. I needed a dime. There was a car right behind me. I know what you're thinking. One of the, not one of the brighter things I've ever done in my life. I get out of the car. I, this, is in Cal, this is in Los Angeles, California. I go there and I knock on the window of the other car. I ask him for a dime. I think out of sheer fear, they coughed up a dime. (laughs) And we were on our way to the right road to take us to our destination. Those of you who don't know Jesus, if you take this on-ramp, you'll discover that the toll has already been paid. Amen? It's already been paid by the Lord Jesus. And if you'll trust in him today, you'll get on the right road because he is the road that will take you to your destination. Some of you are just on the wrong road right now. You, you need to hear the voice on that divine, you know, on that divine road map that says, take the exit. And if you do that, you'll enter into eternal life. And those of you who have already been there, you know Jesus, but the shame, for whatever reason, has put its clamps on you. It might just be sheer, it might be fear, but it might be worldliness. You're just so busy. You get so many things going. You're running here, you're running there, you're buying this, you're buying that. You got to have that. And you just don't have time to think about lost people. Right now, as we close in prayer, would you make a commitment this morning? Those of you who know Jesus, to be unashamed about telling others about him. Would you do that? With all eyes open and everyone looking around, if that's you, if you would pray that, would you just slip your hand up right now? That's what I'm talking about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the unashamed gospel, and we ask you to forgive us for the things that have caused many of us to shame, to not share, to not be open, to not tell others. And some of us just fear or lack of knowledge. We don't think our personalities are perky enough. But we've learned today, Lord, that the gospel has power in and of itself to change somebody's life. It's like dynamite. Lord, I pray that the righteousness of Christ that we have been dressed in, those of us who have trusted Him, might be more greatly revealed, that our knowledge might give us uh, more confidence to talk to others about Jesus. And God, allow us to build new on ramps to the one road that will take others to Jesus. We commit our hearts and we repent. We repent today, Lord, of stagnation and lethargy. Give us a fresh infilling of your truth, a fresh infilling of your spirit, and send us from here with great zeal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.